0: And Welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Today we are going to talk about the role of marketing and communications, particularly as it relates to beauty, but you know, it's applicable to all fields. And how working at an agency versus a brand versus for yourself, how that shows up. And we have an expert who has done it all. Um, Liv Lewis, who is the senior vice president of client experiences at the Agami Group, as our guest today. Welcome Liv.
1: Thank you. I am so happy to be here. Can you give us a 30 second or a quick bio? I am the Senior Vice President of Client Experiences at Igami Group, and Igami Group is an award-winning integrated multicultural marketing firm that really focuses on three touch points, culture, community, and culture. And my background and what I do is I really am the last go-between between my clients and what they want to accomplish from an objectives perspective. My background is in communication specifically beauty PR actually, but in working with several consumer brand packaging goods, I have an integrated marketing background where I understand all the marketing touch points across advertising. So understanding digital social media, advertising, and of course then my skill set in communications to make sure from a holistic perspective, a brand is covered. A brand can be launched with all those marketing touch points. And so that's what I've been doing for about 15 to 20 years now.
0: That's great. Was The beauty part of your career, a destination or a detour?
1: It was a detour. It was a detour because I thought I was going to be in fashion, actually. I came to New York. I'm originally from Maryland, but I came to New York thinking I was going to work in the fashion industry. And I started working in the fashion industry, and I did an internship. And the internship didn't give me enough vision to understand what the career could be. So I didn't see it. There was no one that was painted that picture for me. And so I quickly thought that I'd just be in a room organizing clothes all day. And so I shifted to beauty via temp agency, actually. And so they placed me at Calvin Klein Fragrances. Actually, it's Unilever before Calvin Klein was purchased. And so in that temp agency was my first kind of experience into what beauty PR could be. We got to launch Eternity moment at the time for Calvin Klein, and I got to see all the blocking and tackling things that went into launching a very, very exclusive fragrance at the time. Calvin Klein, Eternity was huge. And so that was my first entry into that, and I loved it. I loved everything about it from the event, from working with editors, from preparing the toolkits that went into a launch of that magnitude, because it was a global launch, Um, And so I fell in love with it, but that was in-house. So I was an in-house person before I became an agency person.
0: That's your first job. So what skill do you think you picked up there that set you up for success?
1: I would say there were many mistakes (laughs) along the way. One of the things that I will never forget my manager at the time helped me to understand. And I tell my team to this date is you always under promise and over deliver. So the story that goes with that was I rose up the rank from attempt to, you know, someone filling in for a major role. And one of my assignments was develop this deck that I'm going to write or that I'm going to share with my higher ups. And it was a PowerPoint deck. And that was the first time ever I knew PowerPoints existed. And so this deck had animations and effects and fly in, fly out at this time, I just said, yes, I can do it. And so in looking at all the past decks, it was like, oh my goodness, I kind of bit off too much and I struggled with how to put this deck together. And so, you know, day one went by, day two went by and my manager at the time asked me, well, how's everything going? And I had to tell her that I'm struggling and so that was the first lesson that she and I'll never forget standing in her office and she's sitting down, she had these really big eyes. And she said, the lesson I will tell you is to never ever overpromise, underpromise and then overdeliver. So that is a huge lesson that I still believe in and teach my team to this day.
0: Oh, that's a great one because when you overdeliver, the client and anybody you know, that you're reporting to or working with is extra excited.
1: Yeah, and they're like, oh wow, you get the best kind of attention, but then you now need to keep that up. So you set a precedence for excellence that you now need to keep.
0: What do you think it was about public relations once you got like a little taste of it that kept you interested?
1: The relationships. Our business, I mean, it's evolved now because of digital and what that means, but before it became influencer marketing and PR meets digital, it was really about fostering Really great relationships. I mean, even how I even talking to you, Corinne. We've known each other for a long, long time through relationships, and so there was an innate feeling of good. In yes, I was fostering a relationship to get to an end goal, but I was learning about people. I was growing with people. Some of my best friends come from me working at a boutique agency, pitching them. Who knows what I was pitching at the time? And through them through kind of rising the career, been able to continue to foster those relationships. And so for me, that's one of the things that I would say anyone who's in comms, it's comms now, honey, comms public relations is fostering and learning how to foster relationships in the way that services both. Because you can't go into a relationship expecting to get all the time, there's a give. And once you understand the balance of the give and the take, then you have relationships that last a lifetime throughout your career.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I was just speaking with a friend of mine who has transitioned to becoming an executive coach. So I'm going to shout out Marsha Haygood. She is really good about giving the advice that you should always be in touch with people when you don't need anything. Like little things, like ways to keep your connections fresh so that if there comes a time that you need or they need, it is not a weird kind of desperation in your voice. And, it, you know, I haven't spoken to you in 10 years, but I want something from you. But she's always dropping those kinds of nuggets because their relationships can make or break your career at the end of the day.
1: Absolutely. I mean, to this day, there are individuals that it's just, popped to my mind, everything okay? And it's simple as you popped in my mind, everything okay? You let them share or not share. And it goes both ways. And I mean, social and Instagram is all the rage these days. And, you know, and seeing life things happening. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, commenting or DMing them and saying that's amazing. Congratulating them for a win. Those little things people pay attention to. I will give you a story about a really, really popular individual who created Curlbox. If you do your research, you know who I'm talking about. And I don't even know how we were introduced. I think we were introduced through a mutual friend and we've done we did business together and kept in touch via Instagram and it just so happened that I think I got a promotion and I put it on social and I received flowers. I received flowers and I had no idea where the flowers are from. And I opened the card and it was from her. And it was such a unexpected and thoughtful gesture that it made me pay attention, but it made me also think about, wow, like I didn't even know it was like that, you know? And so that was a huge lesson in the power of just being, a kind, thoughtful individual and the pay it forward that came with that. So whatever she needs, I am inclined to do. And we've now fostered a wonderful relationship. We're friends because it started off with just a kind gesture of just celebrating me that has turned into a blossoming relationship where I lean in to help her do whatever. And she leans in and helps me do whatever, but it doesn't even feel like a barter. It feels like what people do for one another who care about one another, right? And I
0: think what you're illustrating is that the relationships that you want to build are genuine, not strategic.
1: Yes, genuine.
0: Yeah, because the ones that are strategic are the ones that kind of fall apart.
1: Yeah, but also too, if you're thinking build a relationship to be strategic, then you're a selfish person. My approach is I consider myself a bridge. No one really knows that I exist unless you know I exist (laughs) on purpose, but I am really intentional about being that bridge because I understand and know the power of an introduction, the power of a connection, the power of whatever, but I also know my responsibility in my position is to be that bridge. I think it's, if you know that and you're not holding yourself accountable to that, you got some work to do internally, but that's my mentality as I think about just relationships or anything. It's, I'm in this position for a reason to be able to open the door, invite someone to have a seat at the table, all of that. And if you have that in mind, then you will always think about relationships differently.
0: Right. And I think that the other part of it that you and I talked about before recording this is not only invite, but equip people to be ready when they get to the table so that they can succeed.
1: Yes. And I can tell that I'm not putting you in front of the room and have, you know, like be ready. But that's the thing. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Right. So sharpen your skills, you know, so that when that opportunity comes, it's not a hurry up offense and, you know, you're ready, you're prepped. And so that is one of my passion points is to be able to pour into individuals to get them ready. It's for the next, whatever that could be. Exactly. So let's talk to me about the
0: move from in-house to your first agency position. What was that like?
1: You know what you got to do when you're in these places? You got to talk to people. You got to talk to people. You got to ask questions because you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. You have blind spots. And so... The in-house position was temporary and I was trying to stay, but in talking to another individual who was more seasoned, I reported to her as well. She said, you know what you should do? You should go agency because the agency, you learn more, you're sharper, you're quicker, you could always come back to in-house. And so that was a game changer in my trajectory, in my career, because I was then exposed to many, many different agencies and I had to really think about, well, what agency and what discipline, what practice that I want to contribute or be a part of to be able to move my career forward. And so I applied to many and I interviewed at a boutique agency. I got the position as, I think, an AAE. Um, And that was when I was introduced to what pitching was like, writing pitch materials, developing media lists. Um, And that's how I started an agency role.
0: And you've worked at several, but then you've also run your own company. Tell me, what have you learned about the key to managing multiple projects and clients? Because agency side, it's, as you said, it's fast paced and there's not just one client, there's several clients that you will be responsible for delivering for. So how did you kind of ramp up to that? And what are the kind of like the skills necessary to like pull it off?
1: I think communications and public relations is an industry where you have to do before you lead If you don't understand the blocking and tackling things that go into being an excellent practitioner of the business, then you're not going to be a leader because you don't know how long it takes to write a pitch letter. You don't know how long it takes to write or to develop a media list. You have to be able to know. So individuals who think they can be a VP coming out of college, that's don't. Stop. You have to be able to know, do, grow to be able to lead and then give advice or grow a team. So a lot of How I learned is by doing, and I know it takes about two hours to develop a good press release to be able to have a client ready. Then they give you two rounds of feedback and then you finalize. You wouldn't know that until you've done that. And then you also now, if you understand all the things that go into a launch, then you can back into, well, I know I need two weeks. And if a client tells me, oh, I'm launching in three days, you already know that's the recipe for disaster. And that's why there's steps, levels, right? Somebody wrote a song about his levels it is. There levels to growing and being a strong practitioner. You also have to be able to be a good listener. And you listen, there's active listening for what's said. You listen also, to for what's not said and what is a pain point of the client. Because the pain point of the client then teaches you how you move. Is there a pain point that you're not hearing? And that goes back to relationships. You have to be able to develop and foster that relationship so your client can trust you with the unsaid. So you know like, okay, they're really pushing for this launch because their boss is da da, da, da da whatever that is. So you're managing the timeline, you're managing expectations, and then you do it so well because you're doing it. You know now you can add on. You can add on different clients, and then you have to just be a really good organizer and prioritizer because then one client, it's like, what's the fire for today? And you prep for the fire for today, but thinking about the other fires to come. So you almost have to, yes, you can get a really laser focused view on what's happening on the day-to-day. You also have to plan ahead and be able to reach up high to be able to look down and see all the different marbles that are, that are, that are up in the air and see which one you need to catch at which time to be able to move all your client needs first. It's a magic act, <laughs> it feels like sometimes. People who want to break into
0: this business, What is the skill you're looking for in a junior person?
1: Hunger. And honestly, good talent is hard to find. I will say that. I will say that. I'll say that because this day and age, forgive me, millennials, forgive me, but there's a level of, I know, there's a level of, I deserve, there's a level of, I should be a VP coming out of college that is almost like, what? No way. But what keeps me excited is when I identify someone who's hungry, who's willing to learn, and who wants to learn, and who wants to grow, that gets me excited because I can see the potential in that person. People who are hungry are going to go far, 100%. In this business, in communications, because it's not a traditional nine to five. There's going to be weekend work. There's going to be seven to midnight for a season. And if you are killing it in that rigor, because that is rigor and like soaking that up, that signals a person who can take more. And I'm a firm believer in if you're hungry and you're like willing to learn, then I can make you a rock star.
0: Easy. Right. That's almost like an unsung skill that you're looking for to do that. When you moved from agency to agency, how did you know it was time for a change?
1: There's things you know about the industry. One, a boutique firm, you know that it's very, very fast paced. You know that you're going to be stretched. And so, based on the individual, that might work for you or that might not. That didn't work for me. Like, I can sprint. You know, a sprint means you're going to be tired and that's not sustainable. So, I knew that the boutique firm was going to be a one year and a half year situation. Have a plan. Have a plan with your next in mind so that you have an idea of where you're going. That's a nugget there. But I knew that it was going to be a one to one and a half year situation. I felt that there had to be more to comms and what I was doing. Now, this firm that I was at is pitch in place. It's like this lipstick needs to be in every magazine known to man and that's it. But I felt there had to be more to the discipline and I didn't see it at the firm. So I was seeking that out. So I landed at another mid-sized firm that had bigger clients. It provided that holistic marketing approach to launch. And so that is where I spent the majority of my career supporting that business. And that is where I learned integrated marketing. That is where I learned that it wasn't just PR or being a publicist. It was, oh, you got to be able to understand the impact that advertising has on communications. You got to be able to understand how shopper marketing and how first moment of truth impacts communications. Oh, you got to be able to understand The media buy and all the levers that goes into the media buy that impacts communications. And so in these conversations, being exposed to these many other individuals, that's when I was like, oh my goodness, there's something here. There's a larger play and marketing isn't really just PR or comms. It's a whole wheel of things that you need to understand to be able to do your job really, really well. Right. And it's not siloed. And a lot of companies have that siloed approach and companies that do it well understand that it needs to be integrated for it to be successful, especially now with digital and social.
0: Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. What would you say distinguishes your current role from the things that you've done in the past? This seems like a larger role in terms of what you're doing for clients and then kind of like what you're doing for the agency itself.
1: The differentiator is purpose. A lot of the clients I had before, it was push this product, get me this placement, impressions. It wasn't rooted in purpose. And I'll tell you the story of how I got to Igami. You know, I just had my two kids. I took a beat to figure out, well, what does it mean to be a mom? I knew that I had a desire to still work. It wasn't like I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but I wanted to do more. I wanted to add value. What I was seeking for was purpose. You know, purpose marketing is all the rage right now. That wasn't a popular word Back when I was in my sabbatical. And so once I had figured out that, okay, a purpose is what I wanted to do, I was looking for, a place that would respect the experience that I brought to the table, but was open to also me providing value and taking that value and also growing. And at the root of it all, I wanted to work on businesses that had some innate purpose behind it. It just so happened that I landed a place that supported and did work for the My Black is Beautiful Pop platform. Now, the My Black is Beautiful Pop platform is owned by Procter & Gamble, and it was started by Black women in P&G who really wanted the image of Black women to be celebrated and Black women to be celebrated. And so I'm a Black woman and I need to be celebrated. I thought that was an amazing cause. And so... That's when I knew purpose and work had to matter and had to be intertwined for me because it didn't feel like work because I was programming for my friends. We were thinking about topics that, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, we did the talk, which was the buy campaign about the talk means one thing for African-American and a complete different thing for non-African-Americans. Right. And I know I'm going to have to have the talk with my son. So it was almost like I was programming for myself and that's what was missing throughout my career was the epicenter of purpose marketing and doing good for brands across the board
0: let's talk a little bit more about the talk and two evils because these are war women initiatives that you've worked on and what was it like to work on something like that and then how did you feel about the reception that they've received because they've been very well received across number of audiences.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's so funny. If I think about the beginning of the program, what we heard our clients say, and this is right around the time that Colin was taking a knee, there was a shift in Obama leaving the administration. So Trayvon Martin, I believe, just got shot. So there was an uprising of emotional, deeply rooted unrest in America. And our client, Procter & Gamble, wanted to do something about it. um, And we heard it in them. It was, it's time for us to take a stand. It's time for us to do something. And it's, they came to us asking, well, what is it that we can do? Now, if you're an agency person, you hear clients say things like, you know, we want to do something and make us uncomfortable. And first you're like, really? In this case, yes, for sure, really. But it was also exciting because that opens up your mind to really think about Movements and campaigns are really are rooted in doing something good in the world, and so, and it's so funny because you never set out to work on an award-winning campaign. You set out to do good with your campaign, and it just ended up being this amazing platform for people to talk about the racism that exists and the bias that exists in America. And so, for me. It was a full circle moment because that's essentially what I always wanted to do with my career is to do work for us as a community and to be powered by a company like Procter and Gamble and have their platform support this work and to be surrounded by smart, passionate individuals. It's literally the best work I've ever done. It just so happened that it got all these awards. But for us, if it didn't get any award, we would still stand proud in the fact that we put this campaign together with other agencies and brought it to light to be able to spark dialogue, because we believe that first you got to talk about it. You have to drive awareness about it to be able to change behavior, to drive understanding, which then leads to empathy. So the reception twofold, because there are people that thanked P&G and My Black is Beautiful for this campaign, but there are people who felt P&G had no place in the world. But what really made me even more proud is that Procter & Gamble never backed down. In fact, we did a whole other campaign and we were on Blackish. We did integration and we took it to the masses. And so that was a signal that you actually had a partner in a client. You know, there's client agency relations. My approach to managing our clients is we're partners. You know, I service your business, but I'm also your partner in delivering against your objectives. And so to have a partner in our clients, and to have a partner with Procter & Gamble to be able to do that work was a game changer. It was everything. And so now it's like, okay, I want another. <laughs> and we've been doing many, many other campaigns where we change the name of the word Black and the definition. We redefine that. You know, We continue to look for ways to change and change a narrative about what it means to be Black in America. I think that
0: is amazing. And this work was done before the recent you know, kind of bandwagon where every CPG company wanted to be seen as an ally and for Brockton Gamble to have put that stake in the ground at that time is really to be noted in this groundbreaking in many ways.
1: Yeah. I mean, the other thing about just developing a campaign is if you were to launch the talk now, it's still resonated. It's a timeless conversation to be had. And you look for that deep human insight to be able to inform your campaigns.
0: With this kind of renewed interest in social justice across the board with beauty brands and CPG companies, do you see this overall as a moment that can be sustained or something that is more performative?
1: I think it has to be sustained because consumers are asking for it to be sustained. And if you're a brand and you are a consumer-based brand, you're supposed to know what your consumer's passion points are. And you want to deliver to your consumer. And this consumer now is demanding brands take a stand. Otherwise, they're taking their business elsewhere. So if you're a brand wanting to stay in business or wanted to be in touch with a multicultural audience, you are held at a higher standard. You are held accountable to do work that impacts and supports this segment. If you're a brand that is not talking to or thinking about this segment, you're not going to last Or the purchase intent for whatever you're selling is not going to be in the place. So it's almost a mandatory. Now there's stepping up and then stepping up the right way. And we can talk about that in another podcast because there's brands who are thinking they can just step up without any action behind. It. And I think consumers are also like, that's cute that you're talking about it, but what's your action? So now is a time the companies are now acting. And if you haven't done anything, you're way behind. And I think the important thing,
0: and I probably say this almost every podcast, your internal actions need to match your external actions. You can't just be out in the world doing this and treating employees. An example, like more, that practicing systemic racism in your organization. So you can't have it both ways. So when you're being held to a higher standard, we're also looking at what you're doing inside because employees are finding a way to let people know what's going on inside.
1: But you know, we've seen, yes, 100% internally, your internal organization, your internal behaviors to your ERG groups or your employee groups have to be right before you even are talking to consumers. But what's interesting about this time now that I'm seeing is that the internal employees who are of color are also taking a stand and asking to see themselves represented one, but are also taking a stand and saying, I need a diverse agency in this mix. I need to see individuals who look like XYZ in the mix. And they are also helping to partner with agencies to be able to perform at the level that a non-African American agency or multicultural agency would as well. And so that is also reckoning that's happening internally in the walls of big corporations as well. And that is
0: such a necessary thing because clients can come to a big agency and say, like, who's on the team? You know, we always hear the story about Beyonce going to Reebok and looking around the room and leaving because she didn't see herself in there. She didn't see anybody look like her. So smart companies are asking those questions of the agencies they're partnering with.
1: Yes, that. But then there's having a voice And then having the voice listened to as well and being open to hearing things that are not comfortable or that's a little bit, it's a little bit harsh. But the reality of what it means, you know, I talk about as a black woman going into any corporations, I'm usually one of the onlys or the onlys and I'm uncomfortable every day, you know, definitely to the corporations who are listening. I think there's having the voices or having the individual's in the room, but are you also making a space for them? But are you also not listening and not retaliating on when they say something that makes you feel a little uncomfortable?
0: Yes. What are the challenges, in addition to being uncomfortable every day, that a Black woman or a woman of color faces, but a Black woman specifically, may face in finding success in public relations?
1: I think it all depends. It all depends on your client. It all depends on your experience. I think there are definite unconscious biases that happen when you're dealing with a black woman. I mean, my voice is deeper and I'm intentional that even in this blended space, I want to make sure that people are seeing my face as I deliver feedback, because I know that the receiving end of it, it could come across harsher, but my face doesn't necessarily match the fact that, okay, my voice is deep, but I'm not mad. (laughs) You know, sometimes I have to actually change my octave. If I'm giving you feedback, that's not necessarily what you want to hear, right? So I will have to add a little bit of color so that you can hear what I'm saying. If you've been paying attention, I just shifted that octave a little bit versus this is my regular register. And if I'm having a conversation it's deep. So those are little things that you realize you have to do. I'm a very transparent person. And so for me, I had to work on delivering feedback across the board. So my team members to other vendors, I need to soften the blow a little bit, but I'm a fast talker. I just need to get to it, get it done to move on to the next. I had to realize that the delivery of feedback, I had to learn how to soften it a little bit. And it came with tone, it came with inflection, it came with sentiment. So those are kind of nuances in the communications Bible of source that you just have to learn because people have unconscious bias. It's nothing to do with you, but you have to realize what those biases are and almost address it before it's even made. But I also will say that because I work in a multicultural agency, I do feel empowered to be my authentic self. And that's different than many of the other agencies I've worked on because you're asking for feedback specific to who I am, so I have to show you my authentic self or at least provide feedback that's authentic and you may not like it, but It's there.
0: There's so much in what you said in terms of the unconscious biases that exist. Like we have to adjust our delivery so that they feel more comfortable. But I also feel like now there's an opportunity for them to start to examine one of the things that this reckoning has done is it has deepened the conversation so that we can bring it up so that they can see the places in which we're Sort of bending to make them feel more comfortable. And now maybe we can do
1: less of that. That is my hope. That's the hope. I think I'll forever have to shift and adjust. I can't ever be my true, true self. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How that would be received. <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean, that's the hope that we don't have to change ourselves. You know, there's tweaks here and there, but I do think there's a level of authenticity that's being asked for.
0: Earlier in the interview, you said it's comms now because it encompasses so many different disciplines. How do you stay abreast of everything that's changing? And how do you lead your teams through these shifts?
1: Um, It's comms now because we are woven into all of the disciplines. I need to understand social to be able to ensure that my influencer work is leveraged in the social channels, right? So influence work typically falls under comms. So that's a public relations discipline. It's different from many different agencies. So I don't specifically stay abreast on things, but I do follow key outlets or key individuals who are on top of it. That if I just look at their page, I have an idea of like what's happening in the world. It's so many things. And I have to be super laser focused on delivering specific objectives. But now the team, I am intentional about hiring diverse people. They have to consume it and they keep me informed or they keep the clients informed on all the cool things and all the rages. Right. But I'm intentional about bringing those individuals to the table because they're the ones that keeping us fresh. So that's kind of how we are staying ahead of or helping the client think about what's happening in pop culture because they consume it. Because many times we are programming for the younger target. So it's smart to bring your younger target to the table and be a part of that because the client wants to hear from them. Many of the times, you know, the client will say something on a call and someone from my junior team will like give a face and it's so great. Again, that's our model or how we approach our client relationships is our clients are very much transparent. And, you know, we have conversations where like your face is off X, Y, Z person. What's up? And then they empower you to share like that's not really how I would word that or that's not really how it works. And there's an opportunity to educate, to make the content, make the thing a little bit more authentic to what it is we're trying to do. So they're the ones that lead that. My job is to make sure all the pieces, all the client levels are met strategically. It makes sense but the team. They're rock stars when it comes to just knowing all the things to know. So I don't even, I stopped trying.
0: <laughs> I know it, but some of it is like, I don't do it all because it's just too much time. But knowing that it exists and being aware of it is important. And just to be aware of just the way that things are shifting. I remember that my mom was a honor Spanish student and she taught Spanish stenography. But sometimes she would use popular music as part of the conversation. And her students would say, Well, how do you know that? She says, Well, I'm older than you, but I'm not dead. (laughs) Like, you know, I'm still up on things. So I kind of think about this consistent changes in social and pop culture that it's good to be aware, but I'm also not the age of that generation. So there's no use trying to be that age. So, you know, there can be an appreciation for innovation without trying to be part of it and make a fool out of myself. Now, let's move on to our
1: fast track questions.
0: What was the first beauty product you ever purchased or tried?
1: So my mom used to, you know, growing up, I used to watch her and get ready for these dances and she would just get dolled up. And the last thing she would do would be to spray her Clinique Aromix Elixir. And to this day, if I close my eyes, I'm right back at the apartment where she sprays it. I see the bottle design. She still wears it to this day. I would say that's the first brand that I was exposed to where I was like, oh my gosh, it smells so good. And so much so that when I started going to college, I loved Clinique Happy, right? Because my mom used Clinique. So that would be the first kind of entry point in beauty that I would remember. She used Clinique and she used Fashion Fair.
0: What's the most recent beauty product you tried or purchased?
1: I am now a huge fan of Ule Hendrickson's everything. I am a regimen kind of person because you know we're in the house and I can try everything. But their brand of products from their facial wash to now their moisturizer and the serum so I get into it all then um Mario Badescu is another brand that I really, really love as well. Those are my two recent splurges. You know, you walk into Sephora, it's an easy $200 <laughs> after you come out. So uh, it's one of my self-care things that I do <laughs> these days.
0: But your skin looks amazing. Your skin is glowing.
1: Thank you. What's the beauty
0: advice you would live by or leave alone?
1: I'm one of those tribes. So if I found a product that I love, I'm not giving it up. Like I'll try it, but I'm a staple kind of person. If it's working for me, I'm not foregoing it. I'll add on, but I'm not leaving something. As I'm getting older, I'm huge on just overall, like taking care of self, and I don't even want to say it's a beauty anymore because now it's holistic, right? So, like, I grind so hard, so I rest hard. You know, everything needs to feel amazing from my sheets because sleep is huge. So You know, I have oil that I spray on my sheets to relax. I meditate now. So, it's actually, it's not about a product. It's just kind of just routine shifts in how I was and how I am now because I realize all that is connected. So, that's essentially what I do. There is no, like, one product but it's a combination of just overall self-care and self-love. And if it makes me feel good, I'm for it.
0: What was the craziest beauty trend you tried from the past that you followed that you laugh at today?
1: Remember those Bjor strips? <laughs> <laughs> I almost ripped my nose off because it was too much for my skin. I used to be obsessed with the Bjor strips you put over your nose. It hurt. I don't do that anymore, but it used to hurt. So that's the one Thing that I was like, why? I don't even know. I think it was on TV and you just had to try it. Okay, who was
0: your beauty icon when you were growing up and who deserves that status now?
1: You know, I remember when TLC came out and T-Boz had that amazing cut. Oh my Lord, I was obsessed with T-Boz. I got my hair cut just like hers. I loved it. I loved the edge and just that it was like an asymmetrical It was so pretty. I mean, there's so many women doing some amazing things, but I always just look at, like, Lupita. Oh, Lupita is so pretty. And, you know, Beyonce, of course, all hail, because it's just the impact, right? There's the body and the music coupled with the purpose and the impact work for me. Oh, Black women. I'm rooting for everybody Black. Issa Rae. I mean, I can't name one. There's so many different women who I look at, and it's just... To me, I'm pulled by inner beauty and inner strength because if your insides are right, then that exudes what you portray outside. And of course, I'm also in this business, so I'm not impressed by a good beat. You know, there's a hairstylist in the background, there's lighting, there's makeup, there's... So for me, I like to see what a person is doing internally. You know, Kelly Rowland is another person that I just... I'm like, oh, she's so pretty, but she's also looks like she's a great person to be around.
0: Last question. What advice would you give to somebody who wanted to follow in your footsteps?
1: You got to be hungry. You got to be able to put skin in the game. You have to be a hard worker. Don't be afraid to say you don't know. You need a mentor. You know what I wish? I wish I had a mentor to help guide me through some of the things that I had to learn on my own. But in the search for the mentor, you can't just reach out and be like, be my mentor. You have to foster back to relationships, right? And then don't waste that person's time. You got to be able to grind. You can't be afraid of hard work. But also I'm not afraid of failure. I've also realized that I have what it takes, that I am enough. And that just comes with this doing this business for so long that you no longer feel like you have to prove yourself. There is no imposter syndrome because I have the receipts that I can do it. So yeah, I don't know if that was helpful enough. Oh, no, that
0: is extremely helpful. Like, I think that's a good place to end. I especially like your note that there's no imposter syndrome, particularly because there was an article from Harvard Business Review that just came out. The way that they looked at imposter syndrome didn't take into account systemic racism. That the way that they looked at Black women and women of color and even white women didn't take that into account. So White women were penalized for not being loud enough. Black women are penalized for being too loud. All of these things, you know, all the mind games that happen, beware. So your advice that you aren't enough, that you have receipt, you have skin in the game, that you know your worth is such a powerful message for anyone in any industry. That you have to really sometimes step back when you're in these situations and realize it's not you. Most of the time it's not you. Most of the time it's not you. Sometimes it's you though. Sometimes it's you, but most of the time it's not. And people are bringing other biases into the environment. So Liv Lewis, I cannot thank you enough for bringing so much insight to this conversation. Anybody interested in a comms role or just looking at their career in a different way can learn a lot from this.
1: I hope so. And people can reach out to me. I'm on the social places. I'm happy to answer questions.
0: That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here.